Welcome to Apostolic Life in the 21st Century, a podcast dedicated to helping modern-day believers live out the teachings of the first century church. This podcast is part of the teaching ministry of Dr. David K. Bernard. Dr. Bernard has dedicated his life to studying the Bible and helping believers apply its message to their daily lives. In Apostolic Life in the 21st Century, Dr. Bernard answers your questions about what the Bible teaches and how those teachings apply to everyday life. Thank you for joining us for this broadcast. John 3.16 refers to Jesus as the only begotten Son of God. However, there are some theologians which throw around a phrase, uh, eternal Son. There is a doctrine that's known as eternal sonship that teaches that Jesus has eternally existed as the Son of God. And according to this doctrine, Christ is is and always has been the Son of God. Now, to add to the confusion, the Nicene Creed states that Jesus is the eternally begotten of the Father. What are we to make of all this? Is Jesus eternal? Is Jesus begotten? What should we think about this? We have to go to Scripture for our answer. When we go to the Bible, the Word of God, we find that Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. According to Colossians 2.9, in him, Jesus Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So the key is to understand, first of all, bodily, Jesus was a real human being. As a human, he had a beginning. He was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, who was his mother, his biological mother, and she bore him and brought him to birth. And so on his human side, he had a beginning. He was conceived and born. But at the same time, he was God manifest in flesh. So the one spirit of God is eternal, of course. God has no beginning. God has no ending. He is eternal. He stands above and beyond time. So viewing Jesus as a human, uh, he had a beginning in his humanness. Viewing Jesus as God, he is eternal. He is both at the same time. Now, when you talk about the term son, by definition, the term son implies a beginning, a begetting. And it's interesting, the Bible does speak of the begotten son. In in normal human speech, begotten means a beginning, the action of the father in causing a child to be conceived. That's what it means to be begotten. And so the term begotten and the term son in normal human speech would clearly indicate a beginning, but it would be a beginning according to the flesh. In fact, we find this exact statement In Luke chapter 1, verse 35, and this is the angel Gabriel speaking to Mary, the mother of Jesus, before Jesus was conceived, and the angel tells her what's going to happen. And I'm reading here from the New King James Version, and and here's what the angel told her. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Here we have a scriptural definition of why Jesus is called the Son of God. It doesn't say he's the incarnation of an eternal second person whose name is Son. It says he will be called the Son of God because the Spirit of God caused his conception. The word therefore, because God's Spirit overshadowed his mother and miraculously caused the baby to be conceived. Therefore, he's called the son of God. So I have three children. I have two sons. They're called my son because I'm the one who caused conception, no one else. Jesus was not conceived 
naturally by Joseph. He was not conceived by any other human man, but he was conceived by the miraculous power of God's spirit. So therefore, literally, God caused the conception. He is the Jesus, that baby, that child is the son of God, the son of Mary and the son of God by miracle. So here we find the, the New Testament using the term son in the very same way we would use the term and speaking of the begetting of the son in the very same way that we would use that. So when we hear begotten son, we think according to the flesh, according to the humanity. Uh, Galatians 4, 4 says, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. So the son is not eternal. The son had a beginning. The son was made of a woman, Mary, made during the time of the law, not from eternity past. So if you're going to posit an eternal son, you'd have to have an eternal mother and you'd have to have an eternal law. Both of those are incorrect. Uh, now, uh, Hebrews 1, which quotes from a prophecy from Psalms, God says to the son, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. So the begetting of the son occurred at a certain point of time. Hebrews is not talking about a, pre, a conversation between two preexistent persons. It's a prophecy from Psalms that's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. When Jesus was born as a baby, he was literally begotten by the power of God. Then there's a further usage that when Jesus arose from the dead, he was the first human being to be raised from the dead with a glorified human body. So therefore, it's spoken of as him being begotten from the dead, the first begotten or firstborn from the dead. But in either case, you're talking about a specific point in time. The Bible never says eternal son. It says only begotten son. The Bible never says God the son as if son were a divine title. It says the son of God. It's a human title. It signifies, the term son of God literally signifies that Jesus is God manifested in the flesh. But that title of son always has reference to the incarnation. It refers to the whole person uh, who Jesus is, God manifests in the flesh, but it's given in the context of time and humanity and incarnation. Now, in John 3, 16, only begotten son, many Greek scholars will say, well, the, the focus is not on, uh, on the act of begetting, but unique, one of a kind. And, and that's fine. But the point is, if you're going to put a time to it, begetting is a point in time. It relates to the incarnation. Now, in Trinitarian theology, uh, they teach that there are three eternal persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So they say that the Son is eternal, and the Son is eternally being begotten by the Father. Now, one of the big debates in church history was if you have two persons of the Godhead and one person begets the other person, then the second person is inferior, is not eternal, is subordinate, gets his source from the first person, and so they're not equal. And that's what Arius taught in the 400s. And so the Council of Nicaea and then later the Council of Constantinople went against that to say, no, Jesus didn't have a beginning. He's not a secondary being. And so they had to come up with this idea, begotten relates to eternity. So then you ask, well, what is this? If it's not a point in time and if it's not the flesh, God begets another God? 
one person begets another person, and this is eternally happening. It's always been happening. Uh, what, what does that even mean? And so the answer of theologians is we can't say what it means. It's part of the mystery of the Godhead. What does it mean to say one person begets another person? We can't explain that. What does it mean to say it's been happening eternally and it's still happening and it always will happen? We can't say that. We don't know what it means. But they they end up saying whatever it means, begetting is what makes the second person different from the first person. So then you ask, well, how do you know they're two persons? Because the father is unbegotten, the son is begotten. So that they're they're different. In fact, in Christ in, in Trinitarian theology, that is the only absolute difference between the first and the second person. That the father is unbegotten, the son is begotten. But then you ask, what, is, what does that mean? The answer is, well, it's what makes the two different. So they're arguing in a circle, because when you ask, what does begetting mean? It's what the father does to be different from the son. Well, what, what, uh, you know, why do you think their father and the son are two different? Because one is unbegotten, the other is begotten. So you basically just argued in a circle and you, the whole thing is mysterious. It has no objective meaning. I don't think that's what the Bible is saying. The Bible is not a philosophical conundrum that makes no objective sense to normal human beings. But the Bible is very clearly saying, in the beginning, there is the eternal God. God became incarnate in the flesh. No human being could be the father of that child. God himself, through a miracle, not a carnal conception, but the spirit of God overshadowed Mary, caused the baby to be born. And therefore, Jesus is the only begotten son of God in a very real, tangible sense. The term relates to time. The term relates to incarnation. But let me summarize this uh, by showing you the term son of God relates to the incarnation. Of course, we have 1 Timothy 3.16, which says God was manifest in the flesh. But more specifically, in John chapter 20, uh, after Jesus arose from the dead and appeared to his disciples, and uh, then uh, Thomas wasn't there and didn't believe, so Jesus appeared a second time to the disciples with Thomas present, showed himself uh, to be real, raised from the dead. Thomas answered this classic statement in John chapter 20, verse 28. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. He recognized, now Thomas is a Jew who believed, believed Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. So when he said, you are my Lord and you are my God, Literally in the Greek, the way the possessive is constructed, the Lord of me, the God of me, not just a Lord, not just my personal God on the side, but the one Lord of Deuteronomy 6.4, the one God of Deuteronomy 6.4. That's who you are. And of course, Jesus accepted that, said he was blessed and pronounced a blessing on everyone else who would believe the same thing, even though they hadn't seen him. So that's us. So Jesus commended that and commended us if we believe the same, verse 29. And then verse 30, Jesus did many other signs. And then then the writer John, under the inspiration of the Spirit, summarizes the whole thing in verse 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that's the Messiah, the anointed king prophesied from the Old Testament, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So when Thomas confessed, Jesus standing before him in the flesh, the resurrected body. You are God. John says, 
I wrote all this to prove that Jesus is the son of God. So by saying that, John is not saying, oh, a lesser deity. He's saying the God that appeared to Thomas in the flesh is called the son of God. So the ultimate meaning of son of God is truly the one God who has come in human identity as the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this episode of Apostolic Life in the 21st Century. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment to give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. We also appreciate it when you share Apostolic Life in the 21st Century with a friend or family member. Finally, join us again next time as we look at how the Bible applies to everyday life.